So Sashin, Sashin is a kind of ritual that we make together. It's like a co-created theater of sacredness. And it's composed of shared intent and passion and vision and challenges and awareness. And session is one moment that doesn't move. Session is nowness. Session is a ritual of non-ordinary relationship to life. Humans have always had ways of shifting out of the ordinary way of seeing and being in life. Every culture. So session is a ritual of unhooking from self-image and its defensive, anxious machinations. It's a ritual of unhooking from the forward-leaning selves and the backward-looking selves so that in that opening, the Dharma can dawn. So living first Nen, we're joined with an ancient stream outside of time. Mustering a big, bright, round awareness. Harmonizing with the flow of change. Inhabiting the texture of being. Seeing with moon eyes and sun eyes instead of the ordinary eyes. Drinking bright space, swallowing the room. Doing nothing or letting nothing do you. All of this has intrinsic value. When you approach Zazen or Seshin to work on yourself or as some tool to chip away what you don't like about life, then its intrinsic value is lost. Or at the very least, we can't see it because we're using the practice to do something to ourselves. Drinking bright space, swallowing the room, doing nothing, all of this has intrinsic value. We can put our desire to solve the world's problems on this, but we don't have to. We can put our desire to be other than what we are on this, but we don't have to. We can put the expectation that this practice make us more effective in our everyday life, but we don't have to. And as for suffering, being first Nen, isn't it hard to say what that even is? Or being first Nen, isn't it hard to say where suffering is in that moment? 
a ritual of unhooking from self-image, of letting the mental narrative clouds clear enough to see what else is there, to see who we be when we're not hooked into that same, that same. It's good if it gets boring. It's good if you have an intuition that there's something deeper, more fundamental. Because the whole lineage that carries us is a transmission of the confidence that there is. And that it's not some elitist endeavor, but all of us can taste that and know that. So mustering a big, bright, round awareness, inhabiting the texture of being. Sashin can be like this. One period of zazen can be like this. The virtue of nowness is now. The virtue of nowness is now. We might think about it being of benefit later, but later is just a different face of now. You can't leap out of it, and you can't get in. So this week, each uh, talk will center on what I'm calling a, a meditation virtue. And yesterday I did basicness. And I said that it's cool for a Zen person to be basic. And today what came to mind is, is tenderness. Here's a poem by Rumi. And uh, Coleman Barks, a translator, named this No Expectations. A spirit that lives in this world and does not wear the shirt of love, such an existence is a deep disgrace. Be foolishly in love because love is all there is. There is no way into presence except through a love exchange. If someone asks, well, what is love? And we should ask, right? If someone asks, what is love? Answer, dissolving the will. True freedom comes to those who have escaped the questions of free will and fate. Love is an empress. The two worlds play across her. She barely notices their tumbling game. Love and lover live in timelessness. Love and lover live in nowness. Other desires are substitutes for that way of being. That is so much of what the heart longs for is filtered through the mind's decision that such and such thing will fulfill 
what the heart desires. But suppose what we're doing here is cutting to the chase. Love and lover live in timelessness. Other desires are substitutes for that way of being. How long do you lay embracing a corpse? How much of the past do we drag around with us? And why do we drag that past around with us? How long do you lay embracing a corpse? Love rather the spirit which cannot be held. There's a good koan. Love the spirit which cannot be held. Rumi says, anything born in spring dies in the fall, but love is not seasonal. With wine pressed from grapes, expect a hangover. But this love path has no expectations. You are uneasy riding the body. Dismount. Travel lighter. Wings will be given. Be clear like a mirror reflecting nothing. That's serene illumination. Be clear like a mirror reflecting nothing. Be clean of pictures and the worry that comes with images. The image of myself and how it should be and how it's seen and how it could be seen and how it might be seen. How it was seen. Be clean of pictures and the worry that comes with images. Gaze into what is not ashamed or afraid of any truth. Contain all human faces in your own without any judgment of them. Now, a discriminating mind can't do that. But awareness in that virgin moment of intimacy, you turn your head and you see. Right there. Bird sings and you hear. Right there. Sometimes um, with the Dharma teachings, we might hear them and feel like I'm supposed to do something, supposed to do X, and then we try to get our ordinary mind to do X. And that's not how it goes. Our ordinary mind just does ordinary mind. It will never do anything other than that. It does brilliant things. It builds nuclear power plants. It cures cancer. It writes poetry. But the ordinary mind and what Rumi and Hongzhi are inviting us into, it's just not its realm. It's a square peg in a round hole. So we, as minds, can't contain all human faces in our own without judgment. But we don't have to because awareness in that moment of intimacy meet someone without considering what they look like. Rumi continues, be pure emptiness. Be pure emptiness. What is inside that, you ask? Silence is all I can say. 
lovers have some secrets that they have to keep. Rumi. So I want to talk a little bit about tenderness. And as I look out, I feel that I'm preaching to the choir, which is a good thing. Heart disease is the leading cause of death. And there are many kinds of death. In the texts, generally, when it says mind, it's, if we were to really unpack that, it's heart-mind. It's heart-mind. You might find as you go deeper in your practice that things happen in your heart, not necessarily even emotional. Energies start to starts to hum, or aches you're unaccustomed to. Heart-mind opens and something is going on. I think we can read these Zen texts and they're very moon-like. They love images like the wind blowing through the mountain valley and, you know, the empty cave has a hollow dragon and Moonlight ripples on the surface of the silver fork, whatever it is, depends on text you're reading. And you might get a sense that this is some kind of impersonal, um, detached thing. But as you know, as you practice these things, and as you meet people who have practiced these things for a long time, they're very heartfelt, they're very sincere, they feel deeply. Zen people don't have a reputation for being super juicy and sentimental. Maybe not a bad thing. But you can't do this training and not come in contact with heart, not know the heart of heart-mind. Because we are sitting, we think we're sitting in the Zendo, or we're sitting in Oregon, or we're sitting in a wet forest, or we're sitting on planet Earth. But the place we're really sitting is our own heart. The place we're always sitting is our own heart. So I want to just celebrate a tender orientation towards oneself. It can be easy to underestimate the value of that. There can be hardnesses, places of fixity that aren't going to soften because we take a chisel to them, because we concentrate harder, because we deny ourselves sleep or food or fill in the blank. It's, It's tenderness. It's extending one's heart throughout one's own body. Actually, I invite you to, to try something right now. Feel your heart. You don't have to touch it. I like to. And some people say, I can't, I can't feel my heart. And that's really good information right there, just to know that. I don't know what you mean. People say, I don't know what you mean when you say my heart. That's okay. Feel your heart. Really feel it from the inside. 
and then feel your whole body as heart. If you feel tenderness in your heart, feel your whole body as that tenderness. And then feel the whole moment as that tenderness. One can practice with a self-disregard or contempt. That's different than being unfixated on one's self-image. There is a kind of passionate self-abandon that's worth celebrating in the Dharma. That is not the same as punishing oneself or sitting hard for the sake of sitting hard or disinhabiting one's feeling life in order to well, that's the open question. Why do we do that? The teachings aren't suggesting that. Sometimes I wonder about people in monasteries or in long retreats if they're doing punitive practice, if somehow they think they're bad boys or girls and so they're going to go make themselves good by doing it right or doing it the best. And all of these things that we encounter, they'll undo themselves. We just want to become aware of them. It's not like there are these people out there who have it wrong and we're the in-group and we're kind of going to do the practice without falling into mistakes. It's just not like that, I'm afraid. We each have our style. Wherever we go, we breathe in our own fragrance. It's hard to really get outside what we are. But sometimes we can get a glimpse and we can let go of something that's not necessary. So getting aggressive style practice on the radar. And just check out your body as you, as you do the practice. You know, if you're making a shashu, it's not like you're like punching your own hand. If you're making a mudra, it's gentle. Notice how you, how do you inhabit the body? We can't make the body relaxed, but we can tenderly inhabit it. It's kind of the difference between feeling that there's this thing that you're going to get to work for you so you can do what you want to owning. On one level, you are this body. This is, this is Buddha's body. So to be in it with maybe gentleness is a good word. So it's good, especially young people in their 20s, 30s, to do intense practice. There's something about a robust gathering of energy that builds, that overwhelms resistance. 
Awareness can go from a little flame to a conflagration. It's a gathering of energy. But this fully vital, energetically engaged practice, you want to decouple it from aggression and strain. Intensity is not aggression. And passion is not self-loathing. In other words, let's go about this the whole time in the spirit of love. Let's let love and awareness not be two different things. Whatever those things are, anyway. So tenderness is an essential ingredient and we can be inhuman towards ourselves. We can mistake this for equanimity or freedom from self. We want compassion's gaze to penetrate inwardly as well as outwardly. I think of a um, long time ago I read an interview with a young Tibetan tulku who was meeting Westerners and he said the strangest things about Westerners is they don't notice that they step on bugs as they walk. That's kind of, that's the, that's the spirit of tenderness. Danger about talking about this stuff is we might start performing religiousness, start spreading nicing over everything, put on an affect of being kind. We're spreading nicing over what we actually feel. This tenderness arises from, from deep in our hearts. It arises from sitting smack dab in the middle of our hearts. This tenderness arises from simply meeting the human situation. Sashin is a ritual of intimate encounter with ourselves. And whatever we encounter, somebody else 10,000 times has encountered. Whatever we struggle with, it's an emblem, it's an instance of the larger struggle. That's why it's not so, I have a friend who, when I tell him I'm doing session, he said, have a hard session. Knowing that when we really meet challenges, that's how we deepen this tenderness. It would not be better, it would be pleasant, but it would not be better to sit here and have everything feel great and just coast through. Because then some level of deeper work just can't get done. So this tenderness arises from simply openly meeting our human situation. Who said we were supposed to know how to practice?
how do we know what's supposed to be happening? How do we know where we're supposed to end up? Where did those ideas come from? Why shouldn't we be in the exact state that we're in? How is it that we decided that the way the universe is manifesting is just wrong? That's a strange thing if you think about it. I'm going to do a practice and you can follow along with me if you like. And you have to do this sincerely for it to be meaningful anyway. I call it the I don't know practice. And you just say out loud in all honesty, I don't know how my practice is going. I don't know how my practice is going. You can try any version of that. I don't know that what I'm experiencing is the wrong thing. It's too weird being in an old classroom doing this. <laughs> but I want to encourage you to try this. Now, if you just say it rotely, that's useless. But if you say it from the truth of it, it can dislodge something that's good to dislodge. I don't know if I'm giving a good talk or a bad talk. I don't need to know. I don't know that what's happening is not supposed to happen. I know that I don't want it to happen. I don't know. Oh, there's so much fresh air in that. I don't know. Just say it and rest in the silence that follows it. I don't know. Apparently, when um, Dogen Zenji was dying, he told one of his students, yeah, you, can, you can teach and run the monastery, but his longest student who had been with him for you know, an ungodly amount of time, he was like, no, you don't really have it because you don't have motherly kindness. You need to work on uh, a tender heart. For some people, it will be helpful when you encounter an upsurge of an anxious part of you or an irritated part of you or a confused part of you, not to simply view it as impermanent energy, which is good when it's good, but to take a moment and be like, okay, sweetheart, I know you're afraid. I know you're bored of sitting here. I know all you can think about is that cookie. Okay, I feel you. You read about sentient beings and you think it's talking about just people out there. But there are innumerable beings in here. Whitman said it, Dogen said it, I believe it. Right? 
And the resistance to that is interesting, if there is resistance. Spiritual practice is purifying. Now, in some visions handed down of what this does, at the so-called end of the path, there is no more hatred whatsoever in the heart. It's like a patch of soil that's been thoroughly weeded, and such a thing can never take root again. That we're undoing the capacity to be aggressive, to intentionally harm another being. That's kind of a beautiful vision. There are many visions of what makes a life meaningful. That's rather beautiful to take one's spiritual practice so you're no longer capable of creating harm. But the purification that happens with spiritual practice means we have to own the anger that is there. We have to own the hatred we do have that surges up that we're capable of. We have to own it before we can just let it be in spaciousness. At first, it's more important to go, I am fucking angry. I am really pissed off. Than it is to just do whatever we might do to let it go. We have to own everything that's in the heart. If you own it, then you can you not own it. It can just be something that touches on the altar of space. But you have to own it first. To not know it is dangerous. So when these things come up for us, it's part of the, the process of being cooked. It's part of the alchemy. To not know it is dangerous, just as to not know our capacity for tenderness is dangerous. Maybe both are the heart's disease. Something in us might have decided that we're spiritual and so we don't get angry. And just to say that anger and hatred are not aggression. Aggression is acting out our anger, acting our hatred upon someone or something. We disavow aggression to the best of our ability. And we have to make, make one with our anger. The old koan says, what is it to spend long hours on the sitting platform? And the master said, sitting long, getting tired. Actually, I think it was the student asked, what is the deep truth of all the Buddhas? And the master said, sitting long, getting tired. Easy to take that one at only face value. But on one level, we could read that as letting pain and physical or emotional, letting it tenderize, 
literally let it soften the hardness in the body-mind. It's the ultimate solvent. Letting it tenderize, letting it universalize, because my uh, anger or despair or boredom, it's, I'm not special in that. Here I am smack dab in the human condition, facing it head on. It's important to say in practice, we're not looking for feelings. We're not sitting down trying to have an emotional experience or hoping that something comes up. Let's just hope. We want our practice to be full spectrum enough that we inhabit what's there, not looking for it, but inhabit what's actually there. Let's see what Zid Master Hongjir says about this. The way I think about uh, studying these teachings, these um, masters, especially who arose out of these, these uh, luminous periods of history, for example, Tang Dynasty, Song Dynasty, China, these were, they're luminaries, they're, they're the mushrooms from a profound mycelium. And so these teachings, in some sense, are, are so high that some teachers, especially Asian teachers, say, why do you people even read those things? You should just work on not stepping on the bugs. But the way I think about it is, you know, you could aspire to be a basketball player and you could study me on the court or you could watch LeBron James. And you could probably learn something from both. But why not watch LeBron? So this is in Master Hongzhi. Apparently, I think this is really cool. He would just sit somewhere like this and someone would come up to him and say, what's meditation? And then this stuff would come out of the mouth. Just like that. So, this section is uh, titled, Non-Interference in the Matter of Oneness. Now that's a mouthful, though I want to say the word non-interference is very good. That's a very, uh, that's, a, that's an exacting practice instruction. Better than equanimity or non-reactivity. Non-interference. Don't mess with stuff that comes up. Let each texture just present itself, because it will. Let it free itself, because it will. It's all like a drawing on water. So just that non-interference, maybe that's enough. So Hongjir said, the matter of oneness cannot be learned at all. Can't get it from a book. The matter of oneness cannot be learned at all. 
the essence is to empty and open out body and mind as expansive as the great emptiness of space. Now don't think Battlestar Galactica. That's right here. We're sitting in the vast sky. We're sitting in that great emptiness of space. If you don't believe it, you don't believe it. But if you open to it, it will prove itself. The essence is to empty and open out body and mind as expansive as the great emptiness of space. When it says empty, it's to see that everything is a liveliness. For capital A awareness, there are no things. There are just moments appearing and disappearing. We empty it out by letting it be lively, giving it the room to, to breathe. The essence is to empty and open out body and mind as expansive as the great emptiness of space. Naturally, in the entire territory, all is satisfied. When we look out from our discriminating mind, it can only do better or worse, higher or lower, having that quality lacking the other quality. But when we let space look through us, things have a wholeness, they have a completeness. The contentment of deciding you don't want more stuff is not going to last. The contentment of deciding you're okay as you are is not going to last. That's just mental furniture. But with spacious heart and with spacious eyes, there's a contentment that's deeper than our mind. The mind doesn't come to rest. It's dynamic. This strong spirit cannot be deterred. In event after event, it cannot be confused. The moon accompanies the flowing water. The rain pursues the drifting clouds. Settled without a grasping mind, such intensity may be accomplished. Lest you think this is some kind of fuzzy Santa Monica Beach type of kickback thing. Settled without a grasping mind, such intensity may be accomplished. There's a vividness here. At first we muster that vivid wakefulness. I am suggesting that. But then at some point we recognize it's just always there. Hongzhi continues, only do not let yourself interfere with things, and certainly nothing will interfere with you. Tuck that one in your back pocket, Jogan. Only do not let yourself interfere with things, and certainly nothing will interfere with you. Body and mind are one suchness. Outside this body there is nothing else. 
the same substance and the same function, one nature and one form, all faculties and all object dusts are instantly transcendent. So it is said, the sage is without self, and yet nothing is not herself. That's a guidepost. The sage is without self, and yet nothing is not herself. Whatever appears is instantly understood, and you know how to gather it up or how to let it go. That is, you know how to engage with it or just let it flow by. Whatever appears is instantly understood. You don't have to think about the person's appearance. Because awareness is intimate. Mind, in the deeper sense, is not something that travels from point A to point B. It's a single body. It's intimate. Whatever appears is instantly understood, and you know how to gather it up or how to let it go. Be a white ox in the open field. That meant something to our ancient Chinese brethren, to be a white ox. I would say, be a cat basking in a sunbeam. Whatever happens, nothing can drive him away. So please keep doing this, this good thing that you're doing. Engage it with basicness, staying at this just primal level of experience. You can't help or mind can't help flowing into second nen, third nen, all the elaboration. But watch as the more your mind elaborates, the further you get from just that vibrancy of your life. And when you return there, recognize the relief. But do that with tenderness. Do that with inclusiveness. Do that with heart and we do this together.